0: Hi, everybody. So excited to share my new and improved theories about the NCT world based on the fact check era content. Really, I feel like I could blow your mind today. So get ready. New and improved theories are coming your way. I typically would release this a bit earlier, but first I had to get out the D.P.R. Ian special discography deep dive because D.P.R. Ian released his new album on the same day. So I really hope you check it out, especially if you're not a fan, because by the end of the episode, you either will be or at least be grateful for the bizarre story time talking about his music video world. Speaking of great narrators, now let's talk NCT and the Fact Checkmate two-part special. This reality show of sorts, the murder mystery story, I do think it's more connected to their music video world than you thought. Topics it prompts you to think about, the ways it kind of foreshadows their characters in the Fact Check era, you'll see what I mean by the end. So let's dive in. This was a really intriguing special. I was really sucked into it, honestly. Some K-pop artist reality stuff, I'm gonna be honest, gets pretty boring. Not much action or intrigue there. But this, this really immersed me. So I'm excited to recap what happened. And if you haven't listened to the episode, that's actually better. Because I'll kind of give you hints, and you have to figure out who did it. Note that I will use, just for the sake of clarity, their NCT names, not the names of the characters they played for the day in this game. You know I'm an uber serious N-Citizen. Yes, I will admit I'm looking at my spreadsheet to keep track of names and motives and clues that point to each character. I really did immerse myself in this story as much as I do their music video lore. So, let me be your authoritative source on Fact Checkmate. This story is about an elderly man, Chairman Beck, who runs an auction house. So the NCT members play people participating in this auction. VIP guests, except for Taeyeon, who's a reporter. We'll get to that. So they're at this auction house. They find him dead in his office. And now everyone is a suspect. Yuta plays the detective investigating what happened. Mark's character had a very close working relationship with Chairman Beck, but harbors animosity. He claims he doesn't anymore, but Chairman Beck's son seems to have been behind a fatal car crash that killed his brother. So Mark does admit to taking this job. Again, this is all in the game, just their characters. Taking this job because it seemed like the chairman was helping hide surveillance footage from the night of the crash. So he took the job to get access to it, prove what happened to his brother, avenge his death. He insists this does not mean he's guilty. Of course, the motive is there then, revenge. But he insists, actually, it's better revenge to punish him in ways that he has to face the consequences of. Humiliate him publicly over a longer period of time. What you could, though, say made him feel guilty was the vague way he answered questions like when they asked about his whereabouts that day. And he said he was, quote, attending to my own business, unquote. He also just nervously laughed and at first was like, actually, I am Chairman Beck, plot twist, as a joke. So if you really want to pin him as the most likely culprit, there's some material to work with. Kim Kenmei, mae character, has worked at this auction house for the past six months. He says he doesn't really know the chairman well, didn't know him well, just showed up and did his job. Who he did get to know well is Serving. Yes, Lee Serving. S E R and then V I N G, which is a fantastic character name. So he knows and calls his helper Serving. Whether that's to place blame on him or to make sure someone shares the blame with him, splits it up. You be the judge. The sketchy things about his character are the fact the detective's first impression is that he's a fool. The fact that he claims he went to law university doesn't look good. He also keeps insisting serving is guilty, and everyone should point at him, jump to a conclusion right away that it's him. So if he's like, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, me duh think you protest too much. He also has motive for killing him because he's allegedly been repeatedly verbally attacked, mistreated by Beck. Plus, he was alone with his drink and could have put poison in it or something when he asked the person in the room with him to go get him some water. It was also later revealed that he has been working without pay since June, just trying to pay off debt because he shops a lot at DG. In this instance, they call it Doyen and Gabbana. Nice touch. He tries to live lavishly above his means, so people think maybe he did it out of frustration with debt or the boss's mistreatment of him or both. But he later says, look, if I'm lying, I'll quit drinking beer. Like, to defend himself. Wu plays this famous soccer star who's super conceited, knows he's all that. He's associated with some clues here. Some think the poison that killed the chairman was put in candy, which he eats during the game. He seems nervous and hesitant when they ask to search his phone. He's got a band-aid on, and at the crime scene was an opened first aid kit. The detective's first instinct of him is that he's a liar, not trustworthy, and he was thought to maybe have put poison in a dessert he brought the chairman. He was bringing him sweets, possibly maybe to woo him, bribe him back into sponsoring him, because after an injury, he lost his sports-related sponsorship, his financial support, his financial backing. He claims, though, no ill will towards him. He's already done more than enough eternal gratitude, Tan's character, like I said before, is a reporter and he's one of the only people there who admits he snuck in. He was not invited, he has been reporting critically coverage of this chairman's property, his business dealings, shady behavior, and did receive at least one threat over that critical coverage. So it got a heated response, so he had to kind of sneak in to get more of a scoop. So he claimed he worked for the New Good Times, even wrote a reminder to tell people that in his notebook, although it was later revealed, of course, he works for the Neo Times. So that could be viewed as guilty, like gets sus, you're using a fake credential. It could also just be how he's doing undercover coverage. You could also find it suspicious that one of his actual quotes is, quote, first, I shouldn't be a suspect, unquote. That's his introduction to the others. So do with that what you will. Johnny's character is super wealthy, but just because of his parents' money, so he lives the fancy life off their dime and is frequently the highest bidder at the auction house, who has a good relationship, a close one, with Chairman back, and admits to kind of being by his side, often for the reputation boost, which doesn't seem to be working. One of the clues is proof that this auction house has been fraudulently selling stuff. So they're actually fakes. They find a bunch of false certificates, falsified authenticity certificates for the items. And if this guy's the highest bidder all the time, that means he now owns a ton of stuff he thought was worth way more than it is. So is that a motive for revenge to kill this guy? It could be. He also did admit he brought him wine that day, and he had a laxative in his bag. He claims, I wouldn't kill him, I just wanted a little revenge, so I put laxative in the wine. That's what he claims, so do without what you will. Also later, they found the poison in the bathroom, which his handkerchief was left in, and in a great moment, he's like, yeah, I used the bathroom, but that doesn't prove anything. And they're like, yeah, but you definitely used it before that one instance, because that handkerchief does not go with your outfit. Like, that was placed there to have an alibi or something, because he would never wear the handkerchief with that outfit. Hechen's character is Lee Ser Love the name so much. kyun Mei Doyan's character's helper, basically. He's the caterer, so of course he's already viewed as a likely suspect because he handles the food at these events. He could easily slip some poison into something. Plus he has a band-aid on too, and anyone who was in the medicine cabinet in question is notable. Also, they find his notebook eventually filled with gossipy stuff he wrote about the chairman. So he was not thinking highly of him, he bashed him. Someone comments he might actually be working for detectives, and he responds, quote, that's not what's important right now, unquote. He also ended a story with, quote, anyway, I didn't do it, unquote. He also says, even if I did, I wouldn't have chosen cyanide poisoning, which is a weird, excessive amount of follow-up. He could have just ended the sentence with, I didn't do it. He says he prepared refreshments for this day's auction around 1 p.m., despite the fact it actually started, was scheduled to, at 4. Possibly most damning is the fact the communal use computer, so that is worth noting too, it's not a personal laptop, but the main computer in the building has in its search history cyanide, and he was seen there alone using the computer earlier. Then there is Jaehyun, soon-to-be inheritor of the Jamal Hotel, which is number two in the world. Jamal Hotel and Fact Resort. This Fact Resort, affiliated with this chairman, number one in the world, rivals with Jamal, number two. So he could have tried to literally kill off competition. They also find social media activity and physical photographs that appear to show, at best, that he was keeping an unusually close eye on Beck, the chairman. And at worst, he was stalking him. And he admits he knew about a plan that the Jamal Hotel might actually be acquired. So he wanted to own both after an acquisition. He's out for power and admits it. He also claims he gave that tip off to the detective agency about the acquisition that was going to come up. Maybe, I guess, to look extra innocent for being a whistleblower. Or maybe because he really wanted people to look into the potential problematic aspects of that acquisition. Financially problematic, maybe even some legal aspect, etc. So, Yuta's the detective. Mark is the guy who got super close to Chairman Beck and could seek revenge over his dead brother. Doyen's character asks someone to get him water, he had the time to put poison in something, he keeps protesting maybe too much, even being like, I'll quit drinking beer if it's me. He seems very adamant to point the finger away from him. He's also possibly deep in debt because he can't stop spending money, and he's now salaryless. Junwoo's character, conceited famous soccer star who thinks he can get away with anything. He has a bandage on, he might fear the loss of his sponsorship, financial support, he's been seen with candy, thought to be what the cyanide was put in, and didn't want people to search his phone. Tan's character is a reporter who snuck into the event, definitely uninvited, and started off a sentence saying, first of all, don't suspect me. Johnny is the character who's from money and often a highest bidder, so he might have just found out they were fraudulent and been super mad. He also admits he's with the chairman a lot for a reputation boost that isn't working. His handkerchief was found in his bathroom and the laxative in his bag, and he did admit to pouring the chairman wine at one point. Hedgen's character, Lee Serving, also has a band-aid on, has been talking some smack about the chairman in his notebook, as a caterer was definitely familiar with the boss's med schedule, and said he was in the catering room by 1 p.m. And Jahan's character is the soon-to-be inheritor of the Jamal Hotel, aware of an upcoming acquisition, and keeping extremely concerningly close tabs on that chairman. Lastly, there's Tail, but because of the motorcycle accident recovery period, he's on hiatus right now, so he was not present for filming this. We have eight main characters, and they revealed stuff not in chronological order, so I put them back in chronological order. You're welcome. A little before 1, Serving Hechen talked to the chairman. He prepared drinks around 1 with Mark. Around 1.10 is the last time Yun claims he saw the chairman. Taeyeon showed up at 1.30. At 2, Junwoo talked with the chairman, and recalls seeing someone in a beret show up, which turned out to be Taeyeon. Johnny got to the VIP room by 2.30. Yun was already there. Taeyeon noticed Junwoo bringing a dessert to the chairman at 3.40. Around 3.50, there was a loud thud. 3.52, Tan started an eight-minute recorded conversation an interview with his source, the chairman. A concerning emotional Instagram post was made by Junwoo at 3.55, shortly after he went for a drink in the main room with the catering. At 4.20, Sir Ving brought refreshments to the chairman. For 30, a drunk Junwoo was stumbling around near the office. The death is estimated to have been between 4 and 515, and at 515 he was found, no blood on the scene, but obviously many other clues that hint at poisoning or maybe an overdose. Once they find the cyanide, poisoning, they determine, was the cause of death. So it sounds like Junwoo was the last person to see him, or pass his office, but not see him. Directly talking to him last was Serving. Their most unscripted moments are the funniest, and truly I sound like I'm quoting a comedy movie or a sitcom or something, but no, this is what they said. There's the handkerchief doesn't go with your outfit comment, Doyen is accused of being addicted to making announcements, there's the Doyen Gabbana reference, Serving as for permission to search someone's phone, and Yuda just yells, detective authority granted, so that's that. Zhen Wu is really trying to woo the detective, very, very much trying to butter him up. Wu also delivers one of my favorite lines, just the way he says it in episode one. He's like, oh my gosh, I heard a lot about this in Among Us, or something to the effect of that. Oh my gosh, this was in Among Us. Like, I know how this ends. Later, Mark gets really upset because he's like, I just said that, and no one reacted. Then Johnny said it, and everyone's like, ooh. The subtitle said, a mother moved by her child's growth, to summarize Doyen's reaction of joy when Wu said, yeah, I stopped thinking you're guilty. There's quite a subplot about the tiny teddy bear gang that Sir Ving used to be in. So he's saying why would I kill this guy I'm eternally grateful for because he employed me when other people would refuse to employ a teddy bear gang member, even though I changed my ways and moved on with my life. There's the goodbye my beer, Dillion says repeatedly, as people think he's lying. I thought I would die since I talked so much. That's a good quote, I'm using that. He sold a sincerity. That's a good one. They really just nail on the head with this. They seem to have different timelines for the thud, and eventually they realize it wasn't because they were lying about when his body hit the floor, it was actually the bull that hit the floor. But then it turns out that was wrong too. It was actually the thud when Taeon dropped his camera. I'll give you a few seconds if you want to guess who did it, but I'm telling you what happened in a couple seconds. Perhaps to the people who wrote it, because all the ways they made arrows point to specific people also kind of were reasons to doubt their guilt. Like, the reasons someone could be the culprit, have a motive, often could also be plausible explanations for other behavior and comments that would exonerate them. So it's well done, I really poured over thinking about who it could be before I finished the episode to find out, and... I always jump to it's the person you know the least about. So maybe Jaehyun's character or the detective himself. Alright, so here's who it was. I'll start with the quote that sums it all up. I didn't graduate from GOAT University in France. Kyun Mei, Doyan's character, the one who shopped too much, was in debt, and mistreated often by Chairman Beck, who went to La University, claimed he went to Goat University, so there's that. They also later found a banana in his bag, and the baggie he used for it matched the Ziploc bag print for the cyanide. So that was kind of a big smoking gun they actually missed. Text seen on his phone, he admits were actually a talk between him and a broker to get cyanide. He said he went to the bathroom, hid the evidence in the toilet, and flushed the gloves he used. That's a smart additional detail. While affiliating with serving and catering, he could use the gloves, the disposable gloves, with the catering supplies. Put those on, hide his fingerprint evidence, and then he flushed those. What's interesting is their unscripted quips are often the best part of their reality show content, but also I think the ways they don't go as planned, their unexpected curveballs they have to deal with in real time, those are often the most interesting. Like, apparently there was a whole additional set of clues and stuff they could have tracked down after opening a safe, but the battery somehow drained out of it. They figured out the password too late. Things could have gone way differently if they had started to suspect Teon more. He definitely had fingerprints at the scene with the shattered glass from his camera and the witness report of the thud. So it could have gone in many directions. They know how to entertain naturally. If you listen to my Analog Trip episode of NCT Talk, I talk about that reality show they did that was kind of uh Stranded on an Island premise. That was really good too. But it had more of a soul to it, more emotional talks. This was all everyone stays out to get everyone. Everyone backstabs everyone as opposed to one team backstabbing the other team. I don't know how I would rank one better than the other. Analog Trip might still be better, but both are really good. Like I said before, some K-pop artists, Reality show stuff is either just corny or just boring or been there, done that. This, I thought, was really extra well done and kept me engaged. Now let's talk about the new album. They released the Deities of Soul teaser video. Deity refers to a, a divine being, a god or goddess. That was the theme of the teaser video for Fact Check featuring everybody. And Jae Hyun had a really big monologue setting the scene. Quote, The city that never sleeps... Millions of humans in us, in the capital, soul, the city of souls. Some succeed, but some don't. Repetitive days, vain dreams, they all have. We're trying to wake them all up, break the cycle in our own way. Just a bit of our powers is enough. Look, sometimes we'll look in their eyes just to see if they can tell that we're only playing around with them. Funnily enough, I became interested in their lives, their repetitive days and dreams. Do you think they feel any excitement in their mundane lives? That's why we're jumping into Seoul, to be part of your life. Unquote. The action starts with seeing Jae Hyun pull an invitation out of his pocket that mirrors the picture of the blueprint style sketch outline of a chandelier, which was a big detail in Make A Wish, the Resonance Part 2 teaser videos, Dream Launch. Many past NCT videos center a chandelier. This might be a coincidence, but it is quite interesting that Jaehyun specifically holds that invite and walks up to a building at a diagonal, like the corner of a building. The diagonal position of the black-on-black era pictures. Just a thought. You know I get really into the weeds of this. He walks up this endless flight of stairs through giant doorways with the big glow behind them. That set of towering doorways that light streams through from behind, those we've come to know as the doors to Kwanya, the larger SM Entertainment Cinematic Universe place, the entryway to Kwanya is this entryway to that higher dimension where these deities live. The projected map image that is seen during this monologue has these green rings of light. A rapid-fire montage of imagery ensues, particularly when Tayon peeks through like a mail slot, an opening it in the door. Remember, in past videos, there's been that orb, that big orb structure, either above them or below, right above them or pretty high up but still kind of noticeable. It seems like Mark might be on the flat top surface of that orb-like thing, that half-orb as he notably stands as if like a sundial with his lawn shadow out behind him like a hand on a clock. Recall he also has been looking to literal different worlds before, like when he read That Solar System magazine during the sticker era. Scenes in this teaser are glitching, melting, blurring. This world is crumbling and changing in real time. Junwoo sits at a desk and holds up an orb, a little ball. So besides entering kuan where space and time are super malleable, and they are these superpowered deities, Jaehyun's narrating about them literally looking down on the mundane, boring lives of humans, and they're seeing them like a game, like nothing interesting to them, a plaything to invade. That's why their videos have so many toy cars, chess games, games of all kinds, basketballs. In this video, Taehyun throws this dice in the air. That's also why I think the NCT videos show total size differences. Like in this new video, Johnny is giant, like just chilling sitting on a skyscraper, but still like as tall as it or taller. So they're literally larger than life status and ability to kind of just have as their plaything, have at their beck and call, their every whim, the earth. That is very clear more than ever here. That's what's happening. They're playing with space and time like you would play with anything. Taeon has always been a leader in the story. His character has, with just waves of his hand and stuff, directed the movement, the action of the others. And he held a little ball that was solid, opaque, in the boss era. And now that Junwoo also holds a ball that's not really opaque as much, it's reflective. I guess that's not really the opposite of opaque, but just go with it. Taeon sits at a desk in boss with the opposite orb. The total opposite ball that Jungwoo holds while sitting at a desk in this video, the leader versus a younger member, a follower, do you see? Parallel dimensions here, I think. They're nodding to the story in opposite ways in different parts of this multiverse. If you need more clarification about the backstory of these characters and their plot points and stuff, I do cover it extensively in both past episodes of NCT Talk, as well as my Parallel Worlds overview of various K pop artists' work in the episode called Naomi Klein Nexus and New Worlds, about what clones, doppelgangers, parallel worlds, etc., what mirroring worlds is really all about. But anyway, Hatchin's always been a character who has a take-charge status and seems to know more than the others about them being followed, surveilled, etc. At least in one dimension. Remember, in another dimension, he's the director for the commercials and stuff. He's the Kristoff, the Truman Show-style head guy. And before, he had the mics in Simon Says. Now he's by the podium, so he still has that role Taeyeon looks angry about something, banging his fist on the table, which just brought to mind for me the office meeting where him and Mark charge towards each other in Boss. They are in the rooms where the heated discussions and decision-making happens. Levitation, we've seen in this story before, as well as a bus being a key setting, especially in Make-A-Wish. Make-A-Wish not only had a symbol in the chandelier, but in the bus. At the very end, that meaningful butterfly from Espa's music video world, tying these artists both to Kwanya, both to the larger SMCU, that bus is a big deal in this world, what happens to it. And that bus levitates now. Doyen in the past has done tons of dimension crossing, interact with his clones in superhuman, was living with like a parallel life, literally split screen right by him, that we saw unfold in resonant short films, etc. And now he punches through a wall, sees the new world unfold on the other side. So in just a short Deities of Soul preview video, we get reminders that this is, like I've said before, The Truman Show meets The Matrix meets Horton Hears a Who Nesting Dolls meets maybe a couple other movies. But a dimension-hopping adventure, a multi-dimension adventure, with a lot staged, difficulty knowing how much is an act, what's part of the show that he is an invite to, and what is something they're in. It's very meta, with a lot of intentional things to recall from past videos. And the other worlds are just a wall punch away at their fingertips. Those are some of the biggest details. Let's think about that monologue. People within people, he's talking about. The repetitive days we're trying to wake them up, break the cycle. This wording is super familiar when we recap something, so put a pin in it. They also had individual teasers. Mark has one in a jewelry store. The theme is bling, notable because of the, the diamond theme in past videos, the fluxing their wealth in past videos. He's also seen at one point in black and white security camera footage. And the clocks on the wall seem to have different times, which could just be because I guess you have to buy the clock and set it to the right time. But I prefer to think the clocks are all over the place because again, in this realm, time is irrelevant. Doyen solo video is in an aquarium. Note that the aquarium was the theme, I think, of yesterday. That video that merged black and white and colored worlds. That one really gave me some out there theories about fish tank connections, but I just think it's very notable that he's back there and has a very weird deep connection, locking eyes with one of the fish. It's also a fun detail. One of the numbers in the store is 1986, his birth year. So Mark, the bling. Doyeon, the aquarium. What to remember about Yuda, I would say, is the book. In his solo video, he's talking to some guys in this cluttered back room. Then he takes a phone call, wearing this fancy animal print coat. He looks straight out of a movie, like he's carrying out a heist mission. He's a guy giving orders and plotting in a safe back room hidden somewhere. He really becomes that character. But anyway, the book he's reading seems worth noting. Jaehyun, remember him for the book as well, actually, in the big envelope he delivered. Could be coincidence, but I do love the fact his teaser video is 1 minute 27 seconds, 127. So anyway, he enters this restaurant in that top hat look from the deity video, holding a big envelope. No one's in the restaurant except one customer he presumably was scheduled to meet. He gives in the envelope in exchange for this book. Junwoo, I would associate with this lollipop because that was a key moment in Dream Launch and the Chewing Gum video too. He's playing at this billiards club, flexing how well he does. You'll also notice in the background, there's a poster with the number 8 on it. The same poster that Johnny sees in the hair salon. I think that could have to do with something else, but my suspicion, honestly, is that's not connected to other symbolism, but just a little shout out to the fact they are incomplete as eight because tail's on hiatus. Just a thought. So Johnny, in his solo video, has this hair appointment, and the thing I would remember about him is not so much an object associated with him, but the fact in this realm of reality, whichever one it is out of what seems like dozens, is that he's famous. So the people in the salon, they're whispering to each other, like, that's Johnny Suh! Like, he is all that in this world. Taeon I would associate with the key. He's working at this bank of sorts and ignoring a huge crowd of customers. He's also seen on surveillance footage an interesting connection between him and Mark being surveilled and also the main power brokers at those meetings. As part of a deal, it seems, Taeyeon is bribed with a key. We don't know what it's for, but we're going to find out. And he walks away, puts up the close sign, ignores the other customers. Whatever this key does, it takes priority for him. So it's almost like he was in this dimension just for the key, just playing a role as someone who works there. And then he was like, see suckers, back to my home planet. My big overarching new theory about N-City and the SMCU is that each comeback is like a teaser at what a different dimension here is like. In one realm, they are vampires, the favorite era. In one realm, they are superheroes. There are some overlaps, I guess, but still different eras, different dimensions. They are action figure superheroes in Kick-It and Punch and Superhuman. They are just actors in NCT Dream's latest era, the members who are also in that subunit. So this era is them as deities, them as the biggest outermost world inhabitants who can move around what happens in the little world like chess pieces, like just gameplay. The world is theirs for the changing it's malleable and you really get that sense with the fact check video the way they command dance sequences the blink and you'll miss it moments like when mark is just holding a goat it looks like but then zoom out a bit and it looks like a painting like mark holding a goat is just part of a painting not really happening nice throwback to the painting and goat university reference in those fact checkmate videos The camera keeps changing perspectives, so sometimes they're right side up and the building's not, or vice versa. They hang off skyscrapers, Johnny jumps down from a helicopter, which again, size proportionality, super topsy-turvy here, because that just turns into a toy-sized helicopter. Hedgen's character still wearing a band-aid, like his serving character. Okay, the quick version of what to remember from the fact check video. Overall, the ways this world is topsy-turvy, the painting moment and stuff, the helicopter that turns tiny, the dance sequences where the crowd forms around them, and all these lights, all these spotlights come down on them. Remember, the crowd following them was ominous in the past, like in Superhuman, but now in this world, the opposite, right? Every parallel world is like a different opposite, and so in this realm, that crowd isn't hunting them down for a reason. They are dancing with them on stage. They are there for them their supporters the moment the silver sheet covers a building they stand in front of then unveils it then goes back on i see that honestly as a big deal that split second like a glitch in the timing the time frame glitch like a quick flash to the past when the building was covered before the unveiling because it was unveiled veiled unveiled i think that was a quick one second flashback Note Jaehyun levitating, but while standing. Another contrast, because in a different world, Jun was levitating horizontally and just less in control of it. In the other world, Hechen is proven to be the liaison, taking people from different realms to meet each other. In this world, Junwoo is in charge. Like before, I said about the orb in his hand now. Now he helps pull Hechen up onto the roof of the same building he struggled to climb. Basically, the Tulon did not listen version of everything I just said is that this story is giving a bunch of parallels to past eras, but different. They're changing what we saw in past eras. So these characters are them, the same person, but a different duplicate, living out a different hypothetical life, basically, in a different dimension. The power dynamics, the pursuits, the goals, the powers available to them, the reactions to them, using powers, all of that is very different, dimension-specific. Obviously, I won't go through an in-depth look at all their past videos, but I do want to give a really quick rapid-fire reminder. Because in hindsight, if you just had every NCT video flash before your eyes really fast, you'd kind of get a picture that gives you a eureka moment by the end. Like, oh my gosh, it's all tied together. So in Fire Truck, a life cycle basically started over. They grew up interfering with a life, then watched her as an elderly woman, watch them start interfering with a young life again. There's a cycle they're talking about breaking now in this new monologue. Limitless was a back and forth between black and white and color, where some members were on TV. There was more dimension blurring in Cherry Bomb when Taeyeon was scheming in his office. Regular showed their blinged-out life. A key irony, that it was a very abnormal video. That's when the rules of gravity weren't applying. The rules of what happens if you jump out a window of a tall building, that didn't seem to apply. That was our first taste in the regular era of the most irregular coroners of the SMCU. And Simon Says, they did sort of a ritual around TVs and computers, took off their masks at the end, like they're ready to move on to a new world, in Boss, Mark and Taon have that heated scene. Taeon has the orb. We also have more of a this-is-just-a-show nod with the auditorium scene. Then there's Yesterday, which gave me my fish tank theories. Superhuman had all these lit-up circles in a target image, which we just saw in this video, too. Genma was levitating. Time kind of moved in reverse. We saw the rain go in reverse. In Kick-It, the whole city stays a blur. Everything space-time is super warped, super fast, and that key silver elevator slash secret time machine I theorize is definitely present in that video. They stay in that blurring, fast-paced video game realm in Punch, the interlude resonance adding to that with voiceovers saying things like warning, try again, like game narrations. In Interlude Resonance, the video scene shown rapidly more than once across the screen. Were the videos with the most focus on time loop situations, going from black and white to color, or video game character to not, and the videos with clear, self-explanatory importance to the story, wakey-wakey, the seven cents, etc. More game talk, like Level 2 and Try Again, in another Resonance interlude, that era also showed members levitating in the monologue talked about the world of unconscious that they're opening up as they put it people to people dimensions to dimensions that there are layers of people within everybody they allude to all the world layering here world overlapping too more than ever there then, of course, so many still relevant details in the Resonance Part 2 teasers. The telescope, the toy car, the TV, the computer monitors, security cameras, the chandelier, the microphones, that time machine elevator. In the Make-A-Wish realm, their characters are magicians. Basically, they teleport out of there in deja vu. In that world, they're audience watchers for the show. They get an invite to it. In '90s Love, Hetchen is in who knows what realm, spinning off into another one, basically. Sticker was a narrative album about quote when two worlds converge unquote. And we clearly saw that with Mark smashing the glass, like breaking through another dimension. And then, of course, the sticker era gave us tons of still-relevant symbols. Game controllers, cassettes, computers, TVs, minifigurines. Again, a bunch of stuff playing with the concept of putting on an act, what is for show, one medium within another medium, like a movie within a show or a video game within a movie within a show, etc. And stuff that plays with the concept of size who's giant who's miniature etc so those main symbols about size and reality construction remain as well as fish tanks again where they're vampires in the favorite era dimension the monologues talk about their time flowing endlessly and feeling like the days are repetitive and mundane before they discover love They also talk about the things they dream about coming true before their eyes and allude to having to keep their vampire selves, those identities, secret from crushes and just try to be out of their memory. Like they apologize in their monologues for being memorable to you, meaning something to you, because when they do that, they made your time feel faster. I think a lot of the story action is due to that meddling. When you meddle with the space-time continuum, the consequences are there. Like, you don't realize what series of events you've totally altered just by one tweak. So that's why their vampire characters are so preoccupied with not influencing people, connecting with people, humans, because they don't want to disrupt the fragile, short sense of time mortals have to deal with. They feel bad for influencing how fast or slow time feels for you. That's a really interesting thought, actually, that their stories touching on. The thought that the people who make life worth living and loving make your time speed up, and you worry about that and want time to feel a bit slower at times. But what kind of trade-off do you need to make? That sort of thing. The fish tank appears again during those monologues for the story of favorites, so seems super notable. And all the quotes in that monologue about failing to reach you, in hindsight, feel like they're talking in terms of like metaphysics, in terms of different dimensions. You stopped, but I kept flowing. That framing of it is we're on totally different wavelengths. Like literally time and space wise, our times move at different speeds. We are on different pages. We literally should not have a relationship because we cannot. We're in totally opposite acting realms here. You'll notice Zhenwu and Hechen, remember Zhenwu helped Hechen up in this new video, they were both key in the favorite video. Hechen had the scene with all the symbolic flower petals around him on that cliff, and then Zhenwu had the scene with the butterfly literally going in him. The universe-era short films were not in chronological order. Stage 3 came out first, then stage 1, 2, and 4. Long story short, in those videos, they encounter different dimensions, versions of themselves. And the world keeps changing. Some worlds are black and white. Some worlds appear to be one thing, then turn into a different substance like smoke or water before they knew it. Images of little kids, TV scattered everywhere, scenes in 2D, conversations in the sea of unconsciousness, like it's a full place where they talk to each other telecommunication style. The Universe Let's Play Ball video showed Wu levitating yet again. You'll see in a really quick moment, they are back under surveillance in Earthquake. And in Two Baddies, there was more dimension hopping, blurring of space and time, action happening really fast. Also, the time travel elevator was back, and Jaehyun got the final close-up, and Jaehyun stepped into narrator preparation. <laughs> And then came, after the repackage, this new era. So they met different versions of themselves. That's the bottom line. And I think an eternal part of their story's conflict will be how to reconcile all those different lives and figuring out what to do with them. Like, which of those alternate lives do they pick? Do they keep them all or do they preserve one at consequence of another? Are they going to learn they want to just be mortal? It's worth it. It's worth not having a headache with multiple selves. We will have to talk about their comic book when it comes out, the graphic novel, but note that the summary distinguishes the plot between two parts of the group. Quote, the group encounters mysterious dreams, putting Mark, Johnny, Taeyeon, Junwoo, and Yun in otherworldly situations, unquote. They then talk about the, quote, reality-crossing mystery that the five, alongside the others, will unite to solve, unquote. So they do list everyone's names, but it just seems notable they separate talking about those five members. The size-changing Johnny, the key bearing Taeon, the guy who takes on the opposite role of a leader in Taeon's place in another dimension, Junwoo, the screen-breaker lead, Mark, and the clone-parallel-world-interactor, Doyeon, those are the ones who in the future are also the most separated from a normal IRL existence the most far out from reality, the most dimensions detached or separated. So one of my big takeaways is that the fact checkmate episodes were way more connected to the story than you thought. I don't think those murder mystery characters are characters that have any place in this whole cinematic world, but they did kind of helpfully preview traits we will see in these characters and the tensions when the members question each other's motives and authenticity, their credibility. Wu, in both their new individual teasers and in Fact Checkmate, they share commonalities. Taeyon in both cases, searching for the keys to the truth, the answers, like his reporter character, not caring who he ticks off in pursuit of his goals. Johnny is living that rich and famous life in both cases. Doyeon, in both cases, is in a state of, get me out of here, I know too much about myself. I'd rather be ignorant to this. Remember, Doyeon's character was the killer in the game. Jaehyun, in both cases, is a dapper-dressed individual with a front-facing role in, in operations. Mark remains a center of plots. Yuda and Tail stay enigmas, <laughs> so there's that. And Zhenwu stays an innocent yet cocky athlete with the billiards game now with the soccer in Fact Checkmate. So in NCT's story, he is a naive, innocent character. And in Fact Checkmate, he's innocent again in a different way. So my big, big overall new and improved takes on this NCT universe. One is the repeated scenes you see. The parallels that are, like I said in that Doppelganger episode, familiar yet different. Something's changed in another version of this world. Half familiar, half new. I also think NCT Dream members have a stronger hold on who they are IRL and separating that from characters they play in other places. Like their game store characters, they can cleanly separate from their Cupid employee Dream Dimension characters. The older subunits, all the others, have a harder time figuring out who they are at their core outside of characters. And I think there's a deeper story there about the youthful, innocent NCT dream just being who they are, and the older, jaded ones learning who the world told them to be, and struggling more and more to sever who they really are from what the world has been telling them to be. So I think on this journey of literally finding themselves in different dimensions, it's going to be more emotionally taxing for the non-NCT Dream members. Lastly, the sources of conflict are twofold. One is going to be half versus the other half. Half the 127 members versus the other half. The point being they struggle when they don't work together. Betrayals, distrust abound because they end up in two groups. One with more dimension hopping ability than the other. The ones who have to stay more in limbo or just ignorant to more of the info. So one source of tension, half versus half, another will be between themselves, the different versions, because the doubles could pretend to be the originals and vice versa and trick people. OG selves could say, no, I'm the real Taeyeon, I'm the real Jaehyun, etc. and wreck havoc. Maybe they already have. So literally finding and trusting themselves, another challenge. Also, I think they will struggle to get on the same page and become one big united team because they come from different places and different degrees of insight into what's happening like some characters really using their powers seem to be more aware of their clones and things like that. Others seem more in the dark. So learning about these worlds, people are at different paces, different levels of that. So it's hard to get on the same page, which could further cause tension because some members may feel intentionally left out of a loop. Like, why did you know about this in that dimension or this in that oddity that we had to investigate? There could be misunderstandings galore starting this journey in, in different places in terms of intel. They have to form trust as they go and don't have the OG foundation of trust, which is much harder. So clashes are half versus half, them versus themselves, the other versions, the copies, and all of them together in other worlds, like I said. So it's both divided half versus the other half, but at another level, there's all of 127 versus all of 127 alter ego version. I think it helps to think of the NCT music video world as an asterisk, with so many different lines, drawing different versions of them from a different parallel world in relationship to each other. So they all have the same center in Quania and then branch out and your path back to Quania, same time to get there because time and space are pointless to try to wrap your head around how they work in this case. And each tip of the asterisk where a different dimension sits, across from it is another dimension, another polar opposite realm where something is happening in the opposite way. One of their clones, their others, their alter egos are doing something polar opposite. So the big tension is the goals are opposite too. Like maybe the ultimate goal is to reconnect parts of themselves together, but the anti-127, their goal is to keep them from meeting each other or something like that. So I think the doubles in the reels, tension is just going to get more intense. That's my updated working theory about this story and where it goes from here. Overall, this group continues to amaze me with their multimedia storytelling. Really interesting. I hope you agree. And thank you for tuning in to hear my thoughts and theories. We've talked a lot today about the visual components of the fact-check era so far. As for the album itself, I will share more of a review about that, the songs, in an upcoming episode. So stay tuned, but I've talked long enough today, so thank you. And I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody!